Good morning, brothers and sisters. Since during this Advent season, we reflect upon the coming of Christ and we prepare ourselves to celebrate his birth, I think it's a good time to be reminded of the way in which our God has chosen to bring new life into the world. Obviously, when Christ came into the world, it was a totally supernatural event. The Blessed Mother conceived him virginally, even gave birth to him virginally. And so it was a miraculous birth, a miraculous conception in this regard. But our Lord was very careful, however, to preserve the structure, if you will, by which this child, the very Son of God, would be brought forth. It was in a natural family. He had a biological mother, and he had a foster father. You see, we know as Christians that it is God's design that new life, new human life, those made in God's image and likeness are brought forth into this world through a family. And the family is designed around the core of the father and the mother, their relationship as husband and wife. In the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. The image of God as it resides in our human nature, it's important to remember, is not something that we individually possess as humans. We only possess it as a collective. And what I mean by this is the fact that our God is a trinity of persons. He's a single God, a single being or entity, if you will, and yet he's three persons. You remove one of those persons, you have no God. Human beings made in his image and likeness were also made in a similar way. The image as it resides in our nature is not in me solely as a male or you ladies solely as a female. It's actually in the family. St. John Paul II once said that God in the depths of his mystery is not a solitude but a family because he contains within himself fatherhood, sonship, and the essence of the family, which is love. And so when God first created human nature, he designed it unique and distinct, masculine and feminine, to be united in a holy union called matrimony. And the first command he gave them, be fruitful and multiply. And so in the bringing forth of children, that completes the Trinitarian image. In order to have a family, you need at least three people. You need a father, you need a mother, and you need at least one child. If you only have a man and a woman who are married, that's a couple. That's a marriage. It's not yet a family. This is the way, the means by which our Lord has designed for us to participate with him in creating human life. And that's the thing we have to remember. It's a participation. One of the common mistakes that people have, and this is nothing new, is that they believe they have a right to children. You see individual women wanting to have kids outside of marriage, outside of a family. Individual men, less, but still it happens. Or even couples who may be struggling to conceive and they are willing to do anything medically, morally, or immorally to obtain a child. No one 
has a right to a child. Children are a gift from God. And the only way we can rightly participate in that is according to the design that God has placed within our natures. Now, in the bond of marriage, there are three goods that each husband and each wife should pursue. The good of the love of the other, just the joy that it brings to have this person in your life. Your desire to help them get to heaven, clearly that's very important as Christians especially. Your responsibility to help them get to heaven. And the bringing forth of new life into this world, new human beings. Now of these three goods, these ends of matrimony, the first for all marriage is not actually getting your spouse to heaven. That is not the first end of marriage. The first end of marriage is to bring forth new life into the world. Now, as Christians who understand the importance of getting to heaven, you might think that that's strange. Why wouldn't that be the first good that you seek in your love in holy matrimony? And the the very easy answer is this, because you don't need to marry someone to help them get to heaven. You should help everybody get to heaven. I should help you get to heaven. Helping somebody get to heaven has nothing to do with marriage. That's just Christian charity. Therefore, it's not the primary end or reason for holy matrimony. According to God's design within our nature, the only reason there's a distinction between the biological sexes is for the purpose of procreation, to create with God. There's no other reason for it scientifically, naturally. We know this to be true, obviously, because of revelation, but you don't need revelation to know this. It's a simple fact. It's one of the basic things you learn in biology. Gender distinction It's for the purpose of procreation. Therefore, marriage primarily is for the purpose of procreation. And the love that a husband and a wife show each other in the most intimate of ways within marriage has to be open to life every time. Every time. Whether you can conceive or not is irrelevant. You must be open to life. If the purpose of marriage and the purpose of intimacy within marriage is procreation, then procreation must always be an option on the table. We know genetically that God has designed us in such a way that a couple can't always get pregnant every time they're intimate. And that's fine. That's normal. That's healthy. But to intentionally close off that openness, that option, is intrinsically contrary to the action, to the purpose of being intimate within marriage. It doesn't make sense scientifically, let alone morally, which is why the church condemns all forms of contraception. Because it's unnatural. That's why it's immoral. 
This is also why the church doesn't have a choice following thousands of years of Judeo-Christian tradition has always condemned any sexual activity that is not by its very nature open to life. Therefore, homosexuality, which cannot be open to life. And sex outside of marriage, which would be not necessarily not open to life, but not open to the protection and the dignity of the life that could be conceived. Because every child has a right to a mother and a father who are together, who are married. That's the rights of the child. These moral teachings that have been handed down to us are, are not just willy-nilly. It's not just stuff some old fuddy-duddies in the past came up with to put down the people and keep them in line. This is God's design in our nature. Whenever we seek to circumvent the natural order, there are always dire consequences. We see that in our culture today. It's so bad that men and women are now confused about gender and identity. No one even knows what it means to be a man or a woman. This is a perversion. And I pity men and women who struggle with this. Clearly something went very wrong in their lives. And to a great extent, I blame their parents. We can only pray that God in his mercy would help restore us to the proper order of things. Marriage is meant to be the greatest natural gift that God has given to you. The greatest natural gift. Obviously, the greatest gift is the church and her sacraments. It is meant to be a glorious and a beautiful thing. But it is very difficult. All of you couples who've been married for any length of time know this. There's so many crosses and so many challenges. Even setting aside the burden of raising children and in a culture such as this, that intimate and that close of a relationship between a man and a woman always has a lot of potential for suffering. The reason is fairly simple if you think about it. When you fall in love with someone and when you want to marry them, the reason you gain so much joy and so much happiness is because you have the ability to entrust your heart to that person. You see, God designed you to want to give your heart away to someone. He designed you to want that. That's human nature. I want to put my heart in your hands. And when you can do that, you find a greater happiness than you've ever experienced in life. This is doubly true for you and God. When you can put your heart, your soul, in the very hands of God, with absolute trust and faith, you find a peace and a joy you didn't know was possible. As a sign of that glorious union with God, we desire to even do that in our earthly relationships as husband and wife. The problem, because of sin, and we can thank the first married man and woman for it, is that when somebody holds your heart in their hands, 
and they're sinful and imperfect, they might not necessarily drop it, but they're certainly going to accidentally hurt it, if not on purpose. No one can hurt you as deeply and as intimately as your spouse can. And since they're a sinner just like the rest of you, it will happen. It is inevitable. It must occur. Even if they don't want to hurt you, they will. That's why the great temptation in marriage is to take back your heart when somebody has hurt it. I can't love them anymore. It hurts too much, it's too painful. The problem with taking back your heart from your spouse is you are breaking a vow that you made before God. You vowed to God that you would be theirs till death do us part. Now, oftentimes we can think that in a situation where my spouse is crushing my heart daily, if not frequently enough, how do I continue to offer myself to them? How do I continue to love them and give them my heart even though I know I will suffer? The reason most people take back spousal love is because they're afraid of the pain. And the majority of young men and women when they get married have no idea how much love will cost them. And so on their wedding day when they come before the priest or the minister of the church and they exchange their vows, they have such beautiful hopes and dreams. And you know whenever you've tried to talk to these young people as I have and tried to explain to them the sufferings that they're going to endure in their marriage, it's very difficult for them to accept and believe that. Because young love is very idealistic. It's hopeful. It dreams of rainbows and butterflies forever in the future. And that young love, when it thinks about possible crosses that could be born, thinks, that's okay, my love, our love is strong enough. It's good enough. We'll get through it. And I don't laugh, but I do look on them with pity <laughs> because they have no idea. They have no idea how hard it is to love when the one you're loving is breaking your heart. But love for us, especially married love, is not a human thing. God is love. Our God is love. And in sending his son into the world, he showed us what true love is and what it looks like. And in his church and through her sacraments, we are given all of the graces that we need to love like Christ. You see, when St. Paul gave us his teachings on husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, he explained to us that this lesson, this teaching about the roles of husband and wife in the family, God's design for them, in their marriages. He's actually talking about the relationship of Christ and his church. Your marriages, your spousal unions, are an analogy of the true marriage of Jesus Christ and his church. 
your marriages participate and share in that glorious and sacred union. And they're only made sacred and sacramental by Christ's love for his church. And we know that our Lord Jesus Christ offers himself to his bride, body, blood, soul, and for him, divinity. He holds nothing back. One of the great struggles that I had in seminary was when I learned that there's a law in the church that a priest is forbidden from refusing Holy Communion to someone he knows may be in the state of mortal sin and is unrepentant, as long as it does not cause a public scandal. So if I know privately that somebody here has grave and mortal sin and should not be receiving Holy Communion, I still have to give them Holy Communion. I'm forbidden by canon law from refusing it, even though they are committing sacrilege, even though they're offending our Lord gravely by receiving him unworthily, I cannot refuse them communion. If I were to do so, I would reveal that they are sinners. By my refusal, I'm letting everybody know they did something really bad. And Jesus Christ would never do that. He would rather his own sacred body, blood, soul, and divinity be offended, be disrespected, than disrespect the ones he loves. So he's willing to endure those kind of sacrileges precisely because of his spousal love. He gives himself, all of himself, to us, even unworthily. That is true spousal love. And so something I want to do is remind you, brothers and sisters, those of you who live in the sacrament of matrimony, of your vows. It's a very important thing that you do regularly as a couple, is go back and reflect on the wedding ceremony. You see, as Catholics, we know that whenever a couple consummates their love, they are renewing their wedding vows. That is actually the theology of the church. Whenever they consummate their relationship, they're renewing their wedding vows. And I think this is something couples should do probably weekly, is just together, look at them up, use your cell phone, and renew your vows one to the other, just to remind you of what you promised them and what you promised the Lord. Now, before the vows are exchanged in holy marriage, the priest or the minister says to the people, Dearly beloved, you have come together into the house of the church so that in the presence of the church's minister and the community, your intention to enter into marriage may be strengthened by the Lord with a sacred seal. Christ abundantly blesses the love that binds you. Christ abundantly blesses the love that binds you. Through a special sacrament, he enriches and strengthens those he has already consecrated by holy baptism, that they may be faithful to each other forever and assume all the responsibilities of married life. And so in the presence of the church, I ask you to state your intentions. 
And then the minister asks the couple three questions. Have you come here to enter into marriage without coercion, freely, and wholeheartedly? Is her dad standing in the back with a shotgun, threatening you? To enter into this holy union, you, you must do so freely, without coercion, and wholeheartedly, not with some of your heart, with all of your heart. Are you prepared as you follow the path of marriage to love and honor each other for as long as you both shall live? To love and to honor. You made this promise. Are you prepared to accept children lovingly from God and to bring them up according to the law of Christ and his church? And notice, this says that you will accept children from God. They are a gift. Will you accept them? And if it is your intention to enter into this covenant of holy matrimony, join your right hands and declare your consent before God and his church. And then each of the spouses says, I promise to be faithful to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, to love you and to honor you all the days of my life. I promise to be faithful to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, to love you and to honor you all the days of my life. The reason the Catholic Church does not allow Catholics to write their own wedding vows is because they'd never do a good enough job. And the vows that you exchange in this holy sacrament, these vows were given to you by God, designed by him, even vowed by him to you in the church. This is what Jesus promises to each one of you. I promise to be faithful to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, to love you and to honor you all of the days of my life. And the beautiful thing about our Lord's vow to us is that his life is unending. even though this type of love will cost you greatly in matrimony because your spouse might not always live up to their vows. But if you strive to live up to yours, and if not for love of them, for love of Christ, not only will you help bring about their salvation and the salvation of your children, but you will become a shining example of true love 
to the rest of the world, to the rest of society. This is what is needed in this day and age. If anything will bring about conversion and repentance from this evil culture, it is true love. True love found in holy matrimony. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.